How long you say you've been working for many? Four months. Hmm. See, if you'd have been here two and a half years ago, you'd know about that sign used to hang up over the bar. Many mentioned that to you? No. You won't know what that sign says in your bar. No dogs or Mexicans allowed. <laughs> now, Minnie hung that sign up the day she opened this haberdashery. And it hung over that bar every day till she took it down a little over two years ago. You know why she took it down? She started letting in dogs. <laughs> This is a great show, man. Thanks for having me on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies with Bryn. And Jeremy. And this is week five of Tarantino Month, voted on by the Dark Council. And we are talking about The Hateful Eight. The eighth right. movie by Quentin Tarantino. We are we are rounding off Tarantino Month. We are I am officially done watching all of you watched I, all nine, right? I didn't watch Death Proof um, because mm. I don't count it, and I don't think anybody does. I think it's a fine movie. I, it's not that I don't. I mean, I don't know shit about it, but I don't think that. Wait, he you've never it. seen it? Yeah, no. Dude, you gotta watch it. But I don't think like when he does like <laughs> like at the beginning of the movie when he says like the eighth film by Quentin Tarantino. Like I don't think he's counting Death Proof, is he? Because it's one, two, three, four, yeah, he five, counts six, seven, eight. He's counting Kill Bill as one. And oh, Death he counts Proof. Kill Bill as one. Fuck off. <laughs> he does. He meant it to be one. It's a four-hour movie. Whatever. We covered it as such. I know. But still, <laughs> I mean, when, like, when you're saying the eighth film, you're... Come on. Come Death on. Proof is a real movie. It's a dumb grindhouse movie, but it's good. I mean, like, the first hour of the movie is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And it's only... It's it's his shortest film, I think. It's only uh interesting. What is it? 1 hour and 40 minutes. Well, anyway, Almost. I didn't watch Death Proof, okay. but I watched everything else and um that's crazy. <laughs> is I guess <laughs> what I'm of, saying. That's a lot of fucking movies. That's to a watch. lot of Tarantino. And we will we will be talking about I'll tell you what though our feelings on his oeuvre yeah, at this point. And by the end of the episode, I will give my official definitive Tarantino ranking. You will. My rank in Tarantino. I- <laughs> <laughs> rank in Tarantino. Uh, um, but I was going to say also that like one thing I've really enjoyed about Tarantino month um, is like for all of his faults, for all of his whatever's like, the music in his movies fucking rocks and it's been very nice to just like that's true like use this opportunity also to just like get way more into 70s soul music sure so that's been very fun i'm i'm really enjoying that what have you gotten into i have like a whole big so i have like a playlist that i just throw every song that i like onto and like <laughs> how many songs i mean it's like i mean not every song that i like but the, of a certain like type of thing that i like to listen to around the house there's like 156 songs on it right now what's the title it's called cooking music because i put it on when i cook <laughs> i was literally going to guess <laughs> cleaning music <laughs> i do put it on when i cook but i also just put it on just when i'm like hanging out around the house or when i'm like i put it yeah. on my radio cleaning. when i ride my bike um but anyway the whole like last like 
month is just nothing but soul music. Um, if anybody would like me to share this playlist, I'll put it up in the Discord or some shit like that. Anyway. Anything Anything you want to recommend? Not really. I is mean, it all stuff a, from Quentin Tarantino movies, or is it also like... Just Domino the past Reinhold month is a lot of stuff that's like from it or that I found recommended from stuff that was in a movie. It doesn't matter. The point is, folks, welcome to the show. <laughs> Brynn, what did you watch this week? Oh, uh, hello. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I I watched a movie. Uh, I said on the bonus that I went to Alamo to watch a weird supercut of... Um, a public access television show mm. from New York City, which I'm not going to talk about. It's just a really, it's really weird. It's a stupid, it, it's it's laughing at people who are mm-hmm. desperate. <laughs> and if that, it doesn't sound good to you, don't watch it. But if you <laughs> want to laugh at children, 15-year-olds singing Lady in Red and like 20-year-olds singing inexplicable songs about hairdressers, look up uh, Stairway to Stardom on YouTube. Um, but one thing I did watch this week was the Super Mario Brothers movie from this year. Ooh. Um, the kids movie, uh, Mm -hmm. directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelinek. (laughs) Who is this guy? This guy looks crazy. (laughs) Um, it's his, that was his directorial debut for that guy. Um, and the only other movie that Aaron Horvath directed was Teen Titans Go to the Movie. Uh, so kids stuff. Not they, go to the movie. It's Teen Titans Go the movie, right? No, Teen Titans Go exclamation point to the movies. Huh. Um, and I guess it's a movie, and that's okay. his directorial debut. It was a TV show, I guess. Um, anyway, that was a movie that came out this year in direct competition with a better movie called Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, we didn't really cover it. We had a bet that um chris pratt would do an accent Mm -hmm. and upon watching it i don't know who won (laughs) because he's (laughs) because we decided he probably isn't doing it but he does in the very opening of the movie they're they're in brooklyn and they do a commercial for their plumbing business okay he's doing the mario voice fully Uh like straight up like that's a go it's a me you know like right and it's him doing it um but then the rest of the movie he has a different voice which is kind of like he's pretending like he's from brooklyn Mm -hmm. but he's either not doing it very well or committing very hard um but in the so in the commercial when he does the it's a me does he like do do they do like a all right cut and then it comes to him he's like oh man yeah yeah he they're watching it on tv and they're like the voice is fun right the voice is fun (laughs) um okay so they're the story of this movie is so strange because for some reason they decided it should have a story but then like didn't do anything with it Mm -hmm. they're two brothers and they live in brooklyn and they have a plumbing business how does brooklyn look like brooklyn nice it's pretty good that part's fun uh they look like they live they look like they live pretty far in brooklyn like it it's like definitely more like where me and you live mm-hmm. um or lived um you know there's like lots of brownstones and and uh townhouses and stuff. sure 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 um and pizza stores and stuff and that looks pretty good they run around and like for some reason like they do they're not good at anything like the movie opens with them trying to f- 
fix a plumbing problem that they get mm-hmm. a job from their commercial and then they like fuck it up and they're really bad at it and it's sort of just an excuse to have a bunch of like whoa falling sure, over sure, 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 jokes yeah. for uh-huh. kids you know of course um and that part's really bad like <laughs> i was bored immediately um <laughs> And, like, there's also all these things where it's, like, referencing stuff from the games, but in real life, like, they have to, like, jump over construction stuff. And they're like, I hate it, too. And it was (laughs) it was very, like, Leo pointing, like, uh, nerd review, like, Mm -hmm. whoa, I recognize that stuff. There's a question mark. Jump on it. I saw it. Jump into it. He hits the block with his hand or whatever. Um and that is not good. And then, and then they, like a, a mushroom comes out and he like, or I don't know, maybe it's like a flower comes out like for the fire spitter thing. And he looks <laughs> at it and he's like, Luigi, what am I supposed to do with this thing? He says, I don't know. Maybe try eating it. I don't know. Maybe eat it. And he eats it and then it works. Is that what happens? <laughs> it's not. No. So in Brooklyn, it's all just like subtle references. Mm. Like Yuck. when they're in Brooklyn, they're just failures and their family hates them. Mm. <laughs> like they have a dad. What's and the dad he's like? like? I don't even remember. He's just like a Italian dad guy. Do they wear um, like the outfits at this point in the movie? They are wearing the outfits. But the dad doesn't wear an outfit. The dad's wearing normal like suspenders and a wife beater. Oh, that sucks. Um, and they're he like, should, you're he failures. Should have, he should have. <laughs> he should be wearing the same kind of outfit, and it's like M with like a small <laughs> S next to it for senior. Senior Mario. <laughs> <laughs> senior Mario Brothers. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so they they get sucked into a pipe like in some underground place because they're exploring it, and then they get separated. So Luigi's like hardly in the movie, uh, and then it's like Bowser just wants to kidnap Princess Peach because he's in love with her, and then how fucking old are Mario and Luigi supposed to be in this? Because their dad looks the same age, but just larger. <laughs> I don't know. I, I it just mean, looks like, like a larger version of them. <laughs> they're starting a business, so I guess like late twenties or so. It doesn't make any sense. I I really just don't think they should have done this. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't add anything for them to be from Brooklyn, and then like there's except this, that they are like in the canon and whatever. Right, but you never see that in the games. It's never ever been a thing. Um, and then in the games, there's New Donk City, but he's like visiting that. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really get it. it. It, it, once they get to the Mushroom Kingdom, it's full on like grading children's stuff. Okay, and <laughs> so it, it gets it, worse. <laughs> it gets worse, and then like Toad is just screaming the whole movie mm-hmm. uh, and being very annoying. There's no funny jokes. There's no heart felt anything like these people aren't characters and they don't really try to make them characters they're just mm-hmm. like mario's like just a guy who he's like oh i guess i'll help save the planet and peach is like well we got to run you through this test and teach you how and then there's like a literal montage where they play the eye of the tiger thing and it's a long montage and he's like running through the through a level just to like try to win a level they have like it's like some sort of like set up for uh-huh. what he's gonna do and then they have to go fight king uh donkey kong and donkey kong and seth rogan <laughs> and right. that part is that is, funny is that good it's a it's it felt like a little bit of a relief to have like regular jokes but it's still so like also does donkey kong talk i thought in the games he just fucking talk I, he doesn't uh, talk 
He's. I mean, Mario doesn't really talk, but he th- he talks. Mario talks. Mario has all sorts he of. He says Wahoo. Let's he says go. Wahoo. Let's a go. He no. sleeps and he says ravioli stuff like that. <laughs> that's yeah, all. Kong- that's all in there. That's all textual. But like Donkey Kong doesn't fucking talk. Donkey no. Kong goes like. Meow. Yeah. He, he he goes ooh uh, when he gets hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, he doesn't talk. None of these people talk. But Cranky Kong's in it. Mm. Uh, all the Kongs are in it, and they're just like, we don't care about you. We're in this other place. You gotta fight my son so that if you win, we'll help you. His and son it's just is like, Diddy Kong. Uh, no, it's da- Cranky Diddy- Kong's son, Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah, Cranky Kong's son, Donkey Diddy Kong. Diddy Kong yeah. is Donkey Kong's son, right? I guess. Or is he? I- his- little brother i don't know diddy kong is cute in this movie but he nice. barely is in it so then they ride their carts to the castle and then they they try to beat bowser and then they all get transported back to brooklyn and then for some reason they fight in brooklyn and they get the the invincible stars and they win and uh then the family is proud of them for saving the city from bowser mm-hmm. and that's like the emotional arc of the movie i guess that is that sucks. like by the way, These Diddy Kong you- <laughs> is not Donkey Kong's son nor his brother. Uh, he's just his friend. Okay, they're it's just, just a, friends. A, a boy, a child boyfriend. <laughs> it's just a. It's. It's. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's just Donkey Kong's <laughs> twink boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that really adds a whole different dynamic that's to a little their... bit of a dimension he rides on his back oh, yeah <laughs> interesting I interesting that... <laughs> interesting <laughs> really so <I> changes was... <laughs> things <laughs> it does it changes the way i play that game <laughs> um, I was really surprised at this movie because it got really good reviews and it was the most, you know, successful animated movie of all time or something. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised that it's so shitty. Like it is like, it is like worse than Despicable Me. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, like it's serviceable as a movie. Like it, it, you know, they, it has some sort of like beats happen and then all the animation is beautiful it's so for kids. I, I, I think that sometimes people say like, oh, it's for kids as an excuse. But uh, like How to Train Your Dragon 1, 2, and 3 are all fantastic movies yeah. that I actually like and watch every once in a while. Toy Story One, is for kids. It's a good movie. To, yeah, Toy Story is The fine. Incredibles is for kids. It's a good movie. Exactly. And I don't think it's an excuse to make a shitty movie that is like paint by numbers and have no good jokes and yeah. have no like you know characters that you care about and this is just like this was entirely on the goodwill of people wanting to see these characters on the big screen for some reason Mm -hmm. and it just to me felt like a cut scene that i couldn't skip Mm -hmm. like it it was just like when do i get to play the game because (laughs) this isn't good enough even as a cut scene um so I would extremely recommend not watching because I thought it was I was really expecting to have fun. Yeah. Like I threw it on, you know, smoked a little. Yeah, for weed, how much I, I like, heard people talk about it, I was like, I'm gonna enjoy this. Yeah, not even close. Like that chance. It's pretty bad, honestly. Um, everyone is annoying. Jack Black is annoying. It's. I, I wasn't. I didn't come away hating it. Like I wasn't like. I wasn't like mad I watched it, but I was like, that was pretty 
boring and annoying. <laughs> so don't recommend. What did you watch this week? Well, thank you for asking, Bryn. You are so welcome. I watched, um, well, I watched um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But before I talk about that, I also would like to talk about, um, I watched the Venture Brothers uh, movie, Radiant oh. is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. Uh, the conclusion of the series, uh, 90 minute, slightly less than 90 minute, in fact, um, movie concluding the entire series. Um, as many of you, I'm sure, are aware, the show got canceled and they uh, they thought they were going to never get to finish the damn story. But they did. They got to make a little movie. And I must say, wow. Um, <laughs> okay, movie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I have to say, I love the Venture Brothers. I think the first couple seasons are some of my favorite, you know, comedy television I've ever seen. Um, some of my favorite animation I've ever seen. A lot of that stuff is really awesome, really good. I tend to um, diverge from the uh, traditional Venture Brothers fandom when I say that I think the later seasons start to get worse, and I think the more and more. Um, self-referential the show becomes the worse it becomes Mm. and i think by the end we kind of get so far up our own ass that you know we can see our kidneys you know it's just like it's not (laughs) it's not that funny anymore that like there's like a little side character that they made into a big character just doesn't really do it for me the same way it used to and um so the movie i think kind of has a lot of those same troubles that the later seasons of the show have for me um I just don't think it's funny enough um, at all. And uh, but on the other hand, plot wise, really nice. I think they wrap up the story in some really nice ways. They give a lot of characters a nice ending, a nice, you know, button on their on their stories. A lot of the mysteries are are solved. A lot of the other mysteries are are left open because that's just how it's going to be. Um well, you wouldn't want everything to be like, and nothing is interesting anymore. Exactly, and, and and some characters get like a nice like. There's like a lot of like loser characters on the show who get like kind of big triumphant send offs, and that's kind of fun. And there's big triumphant characters who get loser send offs, so that's kind of cool. Um, one of the big mysteries that hangs over the show is like who is the mother of the boys. Uh-huh. And like there's several times throughout the series where you think you're going to find out and then you don't. You do find out at the end of uh, the Venture Brothers movie. I think anybody who's interested in seeing this movie probably already has. But for the sake <laughs> of not spoiling it, I still won't spoil it. Uh, but just want to say possibly one of my favorite uh, reveals of any like hanging mystery story in a show ever period of really who the mom is who the mom is yeah absolutely like one of the most touching and sweet little things on a Aww. otherwise very negative show you know <laughs> <laughs> like i think a lot of the like message and theme of that show is extremely negative and pessimistic but i think they give really? it a really sweet little button at the end um oh, i am having watched only the first season when i was in high school mm-hmm. or maybe the second season too i don't remember uh, I don't remember it being, I mean, I was also dumb, but also like, I don't remember it being like specifically like everything sucks. It's not like everything sucks necessarily, but it's like everybody's motivations are bad and everybody is selfish <laughs> and everybody is a failure and everybody is, you know, out for themselves or out to, you know, whatever. Like, I wouldn't say that's like 
100% of the show or anything like that, but I'd say, like, there's this broader thing that hangs over it of, like, everybody's failures, kind of, like, and what they do with their failures and where those failures take them in their lives and stuff, and specifically Doc Venture, you know, well, is sure, kind of, like, a, a pathetic, sad, miserable guy. Bitter little freak who yeah. wants everyone else to suffer. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so I think yeah. the ending there is really sweet. So that's cool. out of the way. Let's talk about... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which I will say, we've already talked about at length. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think about it this time? So, um, the first time I watched it, I didn't like it. We both didn't like it. We talked extensively about how we didn't like it. Um, I think this time, I liked it a lot. And as a matter yeah. of fact, I would go so far as to say it is now one of my faves of Yeah, of and Quentin. this is very surprising to me because... <laughs> I feel like the criticisms we made of the movie were pretty, like, concrete, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't get enough of Brad and Leo hanging out. Yeah. Uh, there isn't much to the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what what changed for you? Well, so, first of all, the movie is... Um 161 minutes long it's so long which yeah it's when, not as long as hateful eight <laughs> but when i watched it the first time i remember thinking like fuck that was really long and yeah. this time watching it i was really surprised um it flew by mm-hmm. it really fucking flew by it <laughs> it felt a lot quicker this time uh, than the first time i saw it um i found it really charming and really funny and really interesting like um narratively for for quentin i think i made a comparison between it and jackie brown where yeah so one of the things that i like about jackie brown that i bring up in the episode when we talked about it is that like because it's a already finished story that quentin is beginning with that he's just adapting into a screenplay it doesn't require as much writing for him oh jackie brown jackie brown Uh um he gets the opportunity to kind of like sink his teeth into a lot of like the other stuff that goes into being a director. Right. And so you have these like nice touching things like, or these interesting little angles of like, you know, Jackie has a mug collection, you know, and that's like a big, you know, that's like something that you could tell that Quentin really thought about. And, And, and so Hollywood kind of feels a lot like it's in that sort of direction where rather than like trying to create this sort of like, because because there's no story really it's not like a lot of story happening it's a slice of life movie right and Mm -hmm. and because he's kind of freed himself from trying to create something with like interweaving parts and like you know different like twists and turns and angles and mysteries and whatever like it's just a little you know slice of life thing so he really gets to kind of sink his teeth into like what's cliff's like apartment like what's his relationship with his dog like you know like <laughs> what what does rick dalton like to do when he's in the pool you know like you get like every but everything feels really lived in and really human and really um warm and it's interesting that like you know his movies are kind of these uh like almost like little museums each one of them of like certain types of movie that he likes you know he kind of curates these little shows <laughs> yeah. of, of well, types of movie of, what kind of movie is this so that's the thing is this is the first one he doesn't do that for and he just makes it about those movies you know what i mean yeah. like uh-huh. it's interesting that this is the first time that he says like this isn't a 
cowboy movie that I'm like mixing other elements into. This is a movie about cowboy movies, you know, like it's the right. first time that he makes a movie about movies, not a movie that's uh, made of movies, if, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so that all is, is really nice. The other thing, watching it kind of next to Hateful Eight was interesting because Hateful Eight has this very play-like quality to it. Um, it feels like it's meant for the stage in a lot of ways. And then Hollywood feels like a novel. You know, Hollywood feels like it's, it, you're supposed to read it, you know? Like it's, yeah, he made it a novel. Yeah, exactly. And, and And you can tell that that's kind of the direction of it because it feels a lot like a novel in that way where like it's maybe not necessarily about what happens in a scene by scene level to move things forward, but rather like it's about like taking the time to really like stew with everything that, that, that is said and done, you know? So I think, I think revisiting it with different expectations was, was pretty huge uh, in enjoying this more Mm -hmm. this time because it's, it's not like any of his other movies. It's really, really, really fucking different. And, yeah, I, um, I, I, what I remember disliking about it, though, wasn't any of the formal aspects, but mm-hmm. like mostly like what it felt like it was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I, 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 ha- I would like to watch it again. And I think I talked, we talked about this offline. Maybe I don't remember if if it was on the show or not. Mm-hmm. But I watched a little interview of Quentin Tarantino talking about. Tom O'Neill's Chaos, which yeah. is a book about the Manson family um, and the CIA's involvement with that. And he was saying that he wrote and I think made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before he read it and then was like almost said he wanted to remake it. Right. <laughs> uh, to, to like, and I think that's what part of why there's a novel mm-hmm. uh, version of this, which I'm assuming is pretty different. Um, but I, and I'm very interested in why, what he really thinks about that. Um, but I think my problem with the movie was, I, I do think there is an interesting death of the sixties angle to be had with the Manson family murders. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like his perspective was like the 60, the, the old Hollywood was great. Yeah. And then these hippies came and ruined it and now it's bad or See, something. I think, and no, I was like, I'm I not think, really sure what it else. I think that's the at. mainstream story, right? Is like the, the mainstream story of the sixties of the end of the hippies of the end of that whole thing is, is that the Mansons came and killed it, right? The Mansons were crazy hippies. They killed some people and everything got too real. And everyone was like, ah, maybe this is nuts. Maybe we should stop doing this. And everybody backs off. Right. I think by making the conscious decision of having, having the Mansons go to, um, go to, um, uh, Cliff's ha- Rick and Cliff's, you know, house and and get murdered by them instead of murdering Sharon <laughs> Tate. I think it specifically is Tarantino saying that's not what killed the '60s. That's not what killed old Hollywood. This all is not what it's about, right? Is mm, that's like, a good point, actually. It's this is specifically saying like they're out of the picture and old Hollywood still dies, and it's because guys like Rick Dalton just 
don't fit anymore. He lives next door to fucking Roman Polanski, this like hot shit new director who's making way more interesting movies than anything that was <laughs> happening in like the Rick Dalton world. And and Tarantino, I think, has like throughout his career kind of like made such a point of 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 how much he loves that old stuff, but he himself doesn't make that old stuff. You know, he makes like the reason it's kind of interesting that death proof is the one that everybody kind of just kind of casts aside. Cause it's the one where he explicitly makes the old stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas like all of his other stuff is pretty like new wave, you know, like kind of putting stuff together to make something new. It's very modern. It's right. very, I guess, postmodern, I guess would be the right way to say it. But you know, I think yeah, and that's talks- kind of the interesting thing about the movie is that like, you have Manson hanging over the whole thing and you knowing the story are like, and then he's going to go kill Sharon Tate. And then he doesn't, he, you know, the, the, they get their shit fucking rocked, (laughs) (laughs) which which is great. (laughs) Um, and, and, um, I don't know. I think that I think that's kind of what it's getting at is like because you also have hanging over this this whole story that Rick and Cliff are old. You know, they are old and they are slow. Rick is no longer getting the parts he used to get. Cliff is barely even a stuntman anymore. You know, like they are kind of, you know, has been's. You know what I mean? I think that's kind Uh of what he's getting at rather is like the 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 old Hollywood dies because that's just fucking life you know (laughs) like people get old and they die stuff gets old and it disappears yeah i think i i I think i will watch it again at some point and reevaluate what i think about it because i i i don't know my it's funny uh i'm glancing over the wikipedia and there's a, a part that says armand white uh, one of the freaks who writes for the National Review. Mm, you know Armand yeah, White? Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, a hilarious guy who is a great Twitter follow, by <laughs> the way. Uh, if not just to make fun of him to his face. Um, Praise the film as being politically conservative with Smith writing that it mercilessly, mercilessly sends up leftist values. It's and it's found in its foundation, <laughs> it's so, it's so breathtakingly right wing. It could have been made by Mel Gibson. Wow. Um, and, and I, I think that they're probably wrong about that. <laughs> um, but I do see what they're saying a little bit. Like when I saw the movie, it does feel like it has this. It does have this. I think palpable hatred for the Manson family in a way that I think that like Quentin doesn't usually do, or he reserves for like racist white people. Yeah, I was going to say like, it's, it's usually Hitler or slavers, and, yeah. you know, like, but I think, I think that's interesting because I think you should rewatch it then because I actually don't think necessarily that he has that much anger towards them. Like they're kind of dumb, but you know, they're like kids, you know, like you kind of get the, right, but then they get like fucking roasted Oh, sure. Because they're the villains of the movie. Because they're the bad guys. Yeah, sure. But I mean, um, but I don't think that's necessarily like, certainly not, they're certainly not portrayed the same way that like slave owners are in Django, you know, (laughs) like they definitely get some pretty human stuff. There's a really like interesting little like in, in the scene where they first go to Sharon Tate's house to go kill her and then they, uh. Uh, Rick Dalton chases them off and he's like get the fuck out of here your car's too loud this is a private street go fucking go somewhere else and they drive back down the hill and they're like 
they're like talking to each other like holy shit that was fucking rick dalton from that cowboy show and they're like <laughs> no way and they like all have this conversation where they're like i had a fucking rick dalton lunchbox that's oh, yeah. insane <laughs> and like you get this really like interesting little moment of them like reflecting on childhood and being like man it's crazy like we grew up to like see these killers as heroes you know one of, and and sure they look they sound like idiots because you know they're they are like idiots. they're idiots but she's like you know i've been like tripping on this theory that like hollywood taught us to kill so we got to kill the people who taught us to kill um <laughs> and so that's why they decide to go kill rick um so I don't know. I don't think necessarily well, that yeah, they're, I think they're given the same sort of treatment as like typical Tarantino villains. I think, I mean, I think that like, you know, um, Christoph Waltz in, in, um, in Inglorious Bastards gets a lot of humanization and even Goggins in Hateful Eight, which we're about to get into. I don't gets agree. a lot of humanization. Well, yes. Walton Goggins, that's different. That's a different piece altogether. But, <laughs> but no, Christoph do Waltz doesn't get human. He is a, he's a predator. That's all he ever is. Likeable. You don't know yeah. shit about his life. You don't know if he's married. You don't know if he has kids. You don't know a fucking thing about him, except he's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I, I think the one thing that these idiots are wrong about is that like, it, I, I think that viewing the, the spawn ranch people as Quentin Tarantino's vision of what leftism is or like mm-hmm. what the sixties was, especially considering how like deeply he cares about like civil rights and yeah. the black Americans in general. Um, absolutely dumbass take, but yeah. like, I think that that's the problem is that what the, the, the intention of the story is to be like, Mar- uh, not Marilyn Charles Manson <laughs> was is the embodiment of the 60s leftist movements of students and and hippies and stuff and then also of course the whole civil rights movement and I do think that Quentin Tarantino doesn't think that mm-hmm. I mean I think Quentin Tarant- I have no idea what Quentin Tarantino's politics are but I don't think that's what he's trying to say with this movie exactly no. but I do think that they sort of represent I guess I really don't know what they sort of... What do you think that he's trying to say that the Manson family is? And what does it mean for Rick Dalton to kill these characters? Well, I think for... I think what I what I said about it before, that Rick Dalton killing them is is almost as an extension of Quentin's own hand to say, like, this is what you think ended this, but it's not. And I think that their their role in the movie is just them it's the mansons you know like they are like they 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 are their actual selves they are hanging over the movie to represent kind of your preconceived notions about this era Mm. and then killing them at the end is explicitly saying you were wrong you know that's not (laughs) what happened that's not what happened (laughs) they just killed sharon tate they didn't kill the 60s yeah um, I'm. I'm. I think there's a lot. I think that there, it is definitely a movie, and maybe his most like metaphorical and like. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said for conservatism in this, though. Like because I think that nostalgia is inherently conservative, and so I think that there yeah. is something to be said for that. In that this is his most explicitly nostalgic movie. Um, right. You know what the other thing I was going to say about it is, and then we'll move on because we're going over our allotted. What else did you watch? Time. <laughs> Um, 
So every movie well, we're, we're talking about Tarantino. This is we the are whole we're talking thing. Tarantino. It's okay, but every movie of his has at least one really really romantic scene of something, right? Like uh, like in Pulp Fiction, when you watch like the blood dance inside the syringe, you know, like yeah. in um, in Django, when you watch Schultz pour the beer and like scrape off the top with that stick thing, you oh, know, yeah. and like or there's in Inglorious oh- Bastards when they're they're she gets shot in the projection room mm-hmm. or when um when you watch the the cream go on the um go on the streusel like there's there's always these scenes that are like really really like given a lot of extra attention and the thing that's interesting in hollywood is that it feels like most of the movie is that hmm. like most of what you're watching is that shot and i think that's kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> just delectable shots yeah that you just can tell that like quentin just was like "Ooh, they're gonna go crazy for this one q <laughs> <laughs> I, I i think i i will say i remember specifically disliking how much he leans into the foot meme oh yes a lot of feet a in lot this of one feet in this movie <laughs> big time foot movie and it's like i get it that's what you're into I really am disgusted by this and don't want to see it. I think it's kind of funny because he does it at least like once a movie and then except not in uh, not in Hateful Eight, not in Hateful Eight. but um, otherwise he does it like once or twice and it's enough that like people are like, man, he sure loves feet. It's funny in this one to just be like, you think I like feet? Let me fucking show you some <laughs> I don't feet. like it. I think it's annoying. <laughs> Take it out of your movie. Keep that shit to yourself. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's get into the feature <laughs> presentation. Uh, let's do it. This week we watched Hateful Eight, the movie he made right before his ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, this is his eighth film uh, starring Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Walton Goggins, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Bruce Dern. It's uh, Channing Tatum shows up. Channing Tatum shows up. Um, <laughs> um, incredibly, the music is by Ennio Morricone. Yes, um, the only um, the only scored Tarantino movie. Is that true? I think so. Yeah. Otherwise, it's all like it's all just stuff that he like collects and puts yeah, in there. Any score? I'm that pretty sure he true. otherwise musically only uses like stuff that he finds. Like I, I yeah. Like I don't think that even in um, Inglorious Bastards, I don't think there was like any. Oh, maybe there was. I don't know. I'm I could have sworn I read somewhere that this is the first one that he had somebody actually make a score for. <laughs> I mean, I'm not seeing any like music credits on Inglorious Bastards or Django. Yeah. Well, yeah, Django, Django definitely not. Django definitely is a jukebox soundtracky movie. Kill Bill. I guess he takes like scores from other movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kill yeah, Kill Bill is credited to RZA. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't think it's like written music exactly. As with Tarantino, diverse soundtrack, country music. Huh. Yeah, I guess that's true. Insane. Well, so first time he, the first time he decides to get a score, it's Morricone and it, it's fucking rocks. It rocks <laughs> so hard. Yeah. <laughs> the score is beautiful. Very good. Um, yeah. So this is a movie that he made interesting production he wrote uh in 2012 as a sequel to django unchained Mm. um 
uh, thinking, conceiving of it as a movie where I guess, and, and thinking about it that way, it kind of just is a sequel to Django, where Samuel Jackson's character is Django grown up twenty years later. Yeah, um, where the Civil War happened and he fought in it just to kill white folk, and then is still a bounty hunter. Um, thinking about it like that, it's a really fun movie. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it still is a fun movie, but I, I would, I don't see why he abandoned that. Um, cause it, he's kind of the same character. <laughs> he's just not Jamie Foxx. Right. Um, but, uh, and I would, I do hope that if he ever does return to film as he's threatening, he won't, um, he makes a Jamie Foxx movie that takes place before the civil war during with Django. Cause I love that character. Um, but anyway, he, he, he conceived of it as a sequel to Django, uh, called Django and white hell. Um, and then, he wrote the script and then it got leaked in 2014 and he was like, I'm not going to make the movie then you guys have all read the script. So he, then he rewrote it and decided to make it anyway. Um, and this movie had a whole rollout where they went on tour with it. It was like a road show movie where they like had it in I think 70 millimeter. And there was like, it was like a longer version than the movie that was actually released mm -hmm. is 187 minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was a, a real intermission, like a 20 minute long intermission. You go outside and smoke a cigarette. Yeah, or, you saw the road know. show, right? I did. Yeah. When was the intermission? Um, it's a great question. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. It was between one of the chapters. I think it's the chapter right before. I think it's uh, right, af right after he shoots. Uh, right after, um, right after Mar shoots, Marcus um, shoots the guy. Bruce the, Dern. Yes. And then, and then we come in. We come back to Quentin Tarantino explaining like during that mm -hmm. someone poisoned the coffee. Um, I think that's how it was. I don't yeah. remember. But um, it was sense. long. It was very long. And I remember really enjoying it. Um, but kind of feeling a little bit disappointed in it felt very death proof to me. Mm -hmm. Where it was all sort of just fun. And not really saying much in the same way that Inglorious Bastard or Django kind of had like stuff to chew on. Um and I will say that I think I, we I watched the shorter version this time, the 168 minute long one, which I think is the only one you can watch at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I I'll say that I I liked it again, and I think I my opinion hasn't changed. It's yes. still fun. It's it, it it I appreciate it even more having just watched Django mm -hmm. as a movie that is a Western that confronts race racism and American racism and, and the, and the evils of that head on. Um, and that's fun. And it's, it's interesting that he does that, but it's not really much more than that. Yeah. I think, um, I'd probably agree with you on that. I think that it is a fun time. It's a good movie. I don't think it has nearly as much to chew on as a lot of his other work does. Even I'd even go so far as to say that there's probably more to chew on from like like Jackie Brown. <laughs> I think like you probably more to chew on from 
Maybe. Um, but in any event, um, so the story of the Hateful Eight is oh, that yeah. um, Samuel L. Jackson is a bounty hunter who is trying to transport a couple of bounties uh, into Red Rock, uh, and he gets stuck in a blizzard. His horse dies, and then he comes upon Kurt Russell, who is also a bounty hunter, different bounty hunter, who is on his way to Red Rock with Daisy Domergue, who is uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. She is a some sort of a fucking you know bounty. Uh, he's taken in alive. Um, he's trying to get there before he gets hit by the blizzard. He gives Samuel Jackson a ride. Uh, on the way to Red Rock, they pick up Walton Goggins, who says that he is the new sheriff of Red Rock. Um, and so all of them are going, but they can't escape the storm. So they get trapped at this cabin at this place called Daisy's Haberdashery, which is a sort of a general store slash inn uh, on the mountain. That seems like it's a pretty mm-hmm. common uh, stopping point for people who are traveling there. And uh, they get stuck in the blizzard. They get there. There's three guys there already waiting for them. Um, well, who at the beginning just present themselves as three travelers plus an old guy. Um, is it three? Whatever. It's some it's guys are Tim, there. It's Tim Roth and, and Michael um, Madsen and um, the Mexican and Bruce guy. Dern. And Bruce Dern is the is is the extra guy. Yeah, Senior Bob is claiming to work. Oh, there. he's claiming to work there, right? So they get there, they all get trapped, uh, whole tense, uh, whole bunch of tense shit happens, uh, where they're all pretty suspicious of each other. And then, um, somebody poisons the, oh, uh, Samuel Jackson taunts, uh, Bruce Dern into taking a shot at him so that he can kill Bruce Dern because he, so, he, so, there's so much stuff here. I don't know. Well, I'm trying to be quick about it so that we can talk about it. So there's a lot of inner working parts. You're right. Uh, basically, the thing, the main sort of conflict here is everyone's suspicious of each other, but Samuel Jackson is the only black guy in the room mm-hmm. and the civil war has just happened. And this Bruce Stern is a civil war general or something. He was somebody and in the civil war. He was a, he was a big guy in the civil war Who, after the civival war ended or no, this is sorry. This is Walton Goggins, dad. Uh, yeah. Walton Goggins is that Walton Goggins is a lost causer. Yes, and his dad is like a big hero of lost causers who like went out and just like kept sacking southern cities and killing black people um, right. after the war was over. Mm-hmm. And Goggins and this guy are proud of it, and they start saying all kinds of racist pro-slavery shit. And you know, um, um, Marcus is not interested in this and kind of wants to shoot Bruce Turn. So lots of stuff happens and then Bruce, he starts taunting Bruce Dern, puts his gun next to him and is just like saying he's raped his son. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, just to, and then he, it's, it works and he kills Bruce Dern in quote unquote self-defense. Yeah. But uh, everybody knew, like people are like saying yeah. to him, like, dude, don't shoot him. He just <laughs> wants you to pick up that gun so he can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. lying he's making this story up. yeah he has no proof that he even knows what his son looks like yeah um it's pr- pretty clearly a lie um and then so he does kill him and then um during that someone poisons the coffee and the sort of main mystery of the movie at this point is we know somebody the suspicions are confirmed someone is there working with someone else to 
do something and kill someone else. Mm -hmm. And then the whole rest of the movie is sort of figuring out who that is. It's sort of an Agatha Christie, like who's in the, who on the train killed the person Mm -hmm. kind of mystery movie, which is fun. Uh, And then you find everyone's suspicious. What ended up happening is you flashback to Daisy coming home to her haberdashery, the actual Daisy um, who we haven't met. And it turns out that a gang of people, what was the, what's their actual the gang's name, the Hickox gang? No, no, no. Uh, uh, whatever. Some some. Yeah, it's gang, like the Crazy Bill Hickox gang or whatever. Whatever the gang turns out to be, oh, Tim Domingue. Roth. They're the Domingue gang. The Domingue gang. Um, turns out that Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Senior Bob, uh, and oh yeah, and Channing Tatum. Who's hiding in the basement? Who's the whole hiding time. in the floor the whole time, and shoots Samuel Jackson in the balls. <laughs> um, are all part of a gang. They kill everybody there. They kill all the actual workers, and then they pose as visitors or workers, and they have been posing from the very beginning. Their suspicions of Michael Madsen as Joe Gage uh, were correct. They didn't seem to suspect Tim Roth very much. Yeah. Um, and he had a business card. <laughs> one of my least favorite things in this whole movie mm. is that Samuel Jackson knows for a fact that Senior Bob doesn't work there. Right. From the very beginning, because as they say in the end of the movie, Daisy hates Mexicans. She's racist towards Mexicans. Yep. Um, so immediately he knows something is wrong and then does nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that that's... Not a I mean, I plot think hole exactly, but a plot it, it hole. really kind of feels like a real big miss for me. I think like you're supposed to kind of think of it like he's trying to figure out why he's lying. Because for all he knows, like he doesn't know who Daisy Domergue is when he gets picked up, right? Like Kurt Russell no. knows what the deal is with Daisy, but but Sam Jackson doesn't. And right. so I think maybe from his perspective... He's not necessarily thinking like this guy's lying about this because he's trying to free Daisy or whatever. He just knows this guy's lying and he's like, I'm trying to figure out why. What's his angle? What's happening here? You know? Yeah, I I know. But like, I think he would have. There's a lot of situations where he turns his back on that guy when Mm -hmm. he very much knows that he is a faker and uh, and knows that Daisy is missing and left this quote unquote left this guy in charge. You have to be really stupid to not assume that that guy killed Daisy. Right. But I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is if he like if he maybe thinks like there's a version of this that could play out where this guy did kill Daisy and this guy is the only one who's lying here and he's the only one who's troubled before all the shit goes down with poisoning the coffee and whatever. Like if there's a version of this where this guy is just trying to ride this out and try to make it out the other end, cause he knows he can't take on all five of these guys. Right. Assuming that Senor Bob is the only one who's a liar. Who's the only one who's a, a malicious actor here. Everybody else is who they say they are. You know, is there a version of this where that guy is just trying to be like, okay, okay, we're going to make it. We're going to be okay. These guys are going to leave and I'm going to leave with the money or whatever I stole. And then we're going to be cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'd imagine that would be that would be a very real possibility in my head, at least is. like, Yeah, but I feel like if he ends up being 
actually supportive or, or like trying to keep his word to Kurt Russell mm-hmm. um, as like protecting him. He doesn't inform him of that. Yes, like that's he true. Did, he does. You know what I mean? Like it just feels like I, my, I think what I'm really thinking about is that like he wrote this story and then it got leaked mm-hmm. and his actual good ideas had to be changed because he was, had this hang up of like, well, people know the twists now. Right. So I have to like kind of, tweak it apparently the original ending ended in like a gunfight and everyone dies mm-hmm. um you know it was a pretty different movie it seems um and this while well, i'm sure there's a lot of new good ideas and i'm sure he has his whole process i just feel like there's a couple things in this that feel a little undercooked as a mystery you know like stuff i would have i'd be pretty harsh about if it was like an agatha christie or a glass onion story um and and it it takes it away from me because I think its main I think its main thrust as a as a fun movie is the mystery and mm-hmm. everyone's sort of secrets and lies coming out. Yeah, I was out. gonna say that's kind of my thing that I like in the movie more than the mystery. Even is like so I I read Tarantino kind of describe this as like in like old cowboy shows, they'd always have these episodes where like somebody has like a dark and mysterious past that gets revealed in sort of like a high pressure situation. And he wanted to make a movie where every character is that character. And (laughs) like watching it through that lens, I was like having so much fun at like the moments where somebody's just like, well, here's my dark past. And you're like, Oh yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) No, That part part is really good. I, I, I like, I like the conceit of it that it's, this just everybody is lying and everyone has lies for different reasons and mm-hmm. sometimes a good reason like there's that scene where marcus lied to it turned you know, was lying about the abraham lincoln letter right and and john is really hurt by it he's like why would you lie to me and then is weirdly racist about it yeah i guess not weirdly but like but like it, he kind of like drops his facade of being like, "Hey, Kimo Savi, we're all cool. We're both right, Johnny right. Hunters and whatever." He's like, "You people always lie yeah. and whatever." <laughs> I guess it's true what they say about you people, and it's like, uh, you know, Marcus has a good reason. Yeah, you know, he's the only black guy. He's trying to. He's he can't be just an honest guy, just saying all of his truths. You know, and I think that's an interesting. I think it's an interesting concept. I don't know if they actually, if he does enough with it to make it like super, like we said, anything to chew on. It's like, okay, everyone has lies they tell for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah, like, I mean, what he does explains that mean? it pretty clearly, which is nice, but also like, I don't know, like <laughs> it's a little, uh, it's a little too easy for him to just immediately be like, yeah, it's a fucking lie. Here's why I lie about it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but even like Bruce Dern, you know, Bruce Dern has a lie, which ends up being that he knows everybody there is Mm -hmm. uh, um, in the gang and isn't telling anybody because he wants to survive. Right. Um, But it's like, it's just one of those things where he came up with this idea of like, okay, I got to get everyone a secret. And like very few of them are impactful Mm -hmm. because he's sort of just doing it to do it. Um on the positive side though i i think even more so than django he has a lot of interesting stuff about 
the reality of the civil war and the reality of slavery and racism in America and how like the civil war didn't help or it helped to end slavery. But like <laughs> all of those people were still in charge and alive and free to do anything they wanted except actually own people right. in, you know, it, it legally. Um, and then it just creates this like festering boil on America that start like that stuff is interesting and is there, but I think he has less to say about it than even in Django mm -hmm. where like Django is a sort of like power fantasy that is really trying to get across to you how important that is. And that, like we said in the episode, like these people deserve nothing but violence right. and like merciless, <laughs> uh, eradication of that kind of thinking and this movie is sort of like well it's complicated and you know goggins is a bad guy but then he ends up siding with samuel jackson for what reason exactly like because his because uh, his or mistrust he... of women outweighs his mistrust of blacks <laughs> i believe that's actually what the ending is supposed to be like i think that's yeah. pretty clearly what's happening there is you have this guy who very clearly has low opinions of both groups and you have him in a position of like unbelievable power to kill one and go with the other and yeah. He just he can't trust the woman, and so it's a dude's rock ending. They hang her. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, and she being the only woman in the room, except for Daisy, who gets killed. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little complicated, though, by the fact that Goggins is also dying. I kind of think that maybe that would be a little bit stronger of an ending if if he wasn't going to die. If he wasn't also just because you know. If you know that he's dying, which you do because he like passes out from the blood and shit, you know, like uh, if you if you know that he has a chance of surviving, it makes it much more impactful that he doesn't take her deal because the fact that he's dying is like, yeah, of course, he's not going to take your fucking deal. He's not going to be able to spend that money. You've got to offer him something else here. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And that's what I mean. It just feels a little sloppy, especially mm -hmm. the ending feels sloppy where it's like. What exactly are you trying to say about misogyny? Mm -hmm. And like I I don't think Quentin Tarantino hates women. No. I don't think he I don't think he's a, a MG Tao guy or anything. Like I think people who try to make this like I've seen there if you read the Wikipedia and you read some of the contemporary criticisms of there was a lot of like Jezebel articles about yeah. how this movie was a misogynist piece of shit or whatever. Ridiculous. Like come on. The yeah. guy the guy is dear friends with feminists and has spent his whole career made a whole like two fucking movies about <laughs> the coolest woman in the world killing people with fucking samurai swords and shit like what do you yeah, want and, <laughs> and and specifically like not sexualizing her it's not a weeaboo there's like, no there's shit. no like, sex in those movies at all he he you know jackie brown is a very you know nice portrait of a normal a powerful woman. 40 year old woman yeah like come on it don't like he he may not have uh, he may be a little coarse and like old school about the way he talks about certain things but he seems to be a good-hearted dude who cares about I, we haven't really talked about this in this series but like whatever his politics are he he definitely cares about the plight of oppressed people. Mm -hmm. You can't deny that. That's that's something he cares deeply and has spent his entire career making movies about about like people getting vengeance on their oppressors. 
And no matter what you think of him, that's cool. Like, that's a cool thing to do. Yeah. And I respect him for it. Um, yeah, he could be making movie... fucking Transformers, you know? <laughs> yeah, he could be making a way more stupider movies. Um, and just taking those movies and being like, what if it's not a guy? What if it's Uma Thurman? What if it's Pam Greer? What if it's, you know, like, what if it's Jamie Foxx doing these things? It's It's very cool of him. And I think you can't use your platform and your privilege of being able to make million dollar movies much better honestly <laughs> like what do you expect of him? Mm-hmm. um so i like that and and i i don't think that's what it's intended but the movie is sloppy and i think in a way where it doesn't know what else it's saying about it it's sort yeah. of just like she's just a woman because he i think in his mind it's weird to be like women should be able to be evil freaks and he just cast Jennifer Jason Lee because she'd be good in it. Yeah. Um, and I also think so, it's kind of another stupid plot holy thing that I'm just thinking about now is that um, at the towards the end when we get the reveal of who everybody is in the gang, um, at the beginning, you know, Sam Jackson is like, I don't know who Daisy Domergue is. I guess maybe he was lying about that because later on be he lying, knows yeah. <laughs> he knows everybody and what their bounty is. So I guess that's maybe that's his yeah. little one of his little secrets. I don't know. Um, he's got a, he's got he's playing a long game and i think my big problem is, is that i think that quinn decided that everyone was going to die at, before he wrote the ending yeah and it just feels like goggins and sam jackson should survive and mm. and also like it's a little ridiculous and a bit too heightened for me that they're slowly bleeding out over a half an hour. Mm-hmm. It feels like so long and they're having like fully cognizant, like deal making things where they're like, well, not fully kind of they're, they're definitely coming in and out of consciousness fairly often. And uh, like, but it feels you so get those like fun. I mean, you get a really funny thing out of it of, of when their voices start slowing down. Cause Sam Jackson <laughs> is like very obviously dying and he's yeah. like, you make a deal with this, this diabolical <laughs> bitch. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. And it's, it's definitely great to watch. And this is, I, I'm nitpicking here because it's a, it's a fun movie, but I, and I do recommend it. It's a great time. And for these kinds of movies, I'd say it's as good as like, well, it's better than glass onion. Like, oh, okay. It, I think you're going to put it with Tarantino movies. No, no, no. I'm saying like, if you want a mystery, who done it, like what's going on kind of movie, this is like one of the better ones. Like yeah. it's up there with like, I, I I think Knives Out says what it's trying to say a little better, mm-hmm. but it's up there with Knives Out, I'd say. Yeah, as probably, a good movie. for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I'm nitpicking I- because these kinds of movies rely so much on the inner workings and I just feel like the ending is a little bit, it, it it falls a little flat to me because what Goggins is redeemed in some way or I don't think he's redeemed, but he's not. And so it just feels like, okay, they're just like dying together because Quentin Cause they're Tarantino dying. Yeah, cause cause they're Tarantino dying. and they're dying. It doesn't feel yeah. like I agree with you. I think I'm with you. It's, it's a good movie. It's a fun time. I still recommend it. However, I think it's a little sloppy at times and there's stuff that like, I don't know. I think, I like to have seen what his original vision was, or maybe if he really, you know, could have nutted up and kind of like put this together with what his original idea was and take the best pieces of each. Maybe there yeah. was, maybe there's something there. I don't know. 
Um, and, and I mean, we're kind of just guessing on why it has this sort of like plot holy kind of feel at the end. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe this is what he wanted. I don't know. My my, but I think critically, it feels the the first the first hour and a half are so good. Mm-hmm. I really think the movie starts falling apart once everything is revealed about the gang. Yeah. And then at a certain point, it's sort of like, wait, why do I care? I kind of know everyone's dying. So who cares who dies in what order? Right. Like, that's sort of the biggest problem is that, like, I guess Daisy could get away, but they're not surviving. And they make that very clear that we're all going to die. It's whether we're going to kill you now or do something else. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that doesn't feel as cathartic or interesting as if one of them could get away. Yeah. You know, in in the same way Reservoir Dogs works. Like, Reservoir Dogs has any sort of tension because one of them could get away. Right. One of them does, maybe. Yeah, um, I don't remember. I think Mr. Pink runs away. He does while run the away, but I coming. feel like they kill him. Well, you don't see it. You you sort of like it's implied like does he get a, does do the cops catch him or not? Right. Um and that's that's one way to do it. Um I don't love that movie. Um, no, I don't. And um, either. And and on that note, I think it's we time. We should get into our rating. It's time for Rankin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'll go first because I haven't seen all of them as recently as you. Okay. Um, so I think mine is going to probably change uh, after I say this. But currently in my heart, I ha- like I haven't watched Pulp Fiction recently, Reservoir Dogs recently. I haven't watched Death Proof recently. I haven't watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood recently. But I will... And, oh, and or Bastards. So my ranking... Should I go from the bottom up or from top down? Uh, top down. Top down, I'll go Inglorious Bastards. Then Django. Then Jackie Brown. Then Pulp Fiction. Then Death Proof. Then Hateful Eight. Then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Then Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Not far off of mine. Not far Ooh. off. I'm going Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Jackie Brown. Top three, same. Uh, then I got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Then I got right. Pulp Fiction. And uh, in my in my thing, I'm splitting Kill Bill. So we have Kill Bill 2. No, you can't do it. Yes, we can. You can't do it. Yes, I can. (laughs) Yes, I most certainly can. Uh, Kill Bill 2, You're Not My Boss, Hateful (laughs) (laughs) Kill Bill 1, Reservoir Dogs. And Death Proof is kind of separate of this because I don't... uh, Oh, right. You haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. uh, I guess you can't even guess where it would land. But it's good. I mean, I put it basically like in the low middle... Yeah, it's a fun time. It's I would say it's kind of I think I put it right next to Hateful Eight because it's a very similar type of feel where you have a great time and then the ending kind of falls apart. But Mm -hmm. it's still fun. You get to see some fun car action. I love car action. Yep, they they do a little car chase. So that is our Tarantino month. That's all of the opinions that we'll ever have (laughs) on this fucking guy. (laughs) And I had a lot of fun. I thought it was a good month. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah, I think it was awesome. And you know, I was usually at the end of Quentin Tar- at, at the end of the Dark Council month, 
we <laughs> declare what the other month is going to be, and I completely forgot to nudge them this month. <laughs> no, we have it. We have it, don't we? Oh, we it's locked in. Yeah. Uh, they're currently discussing the month oh, after. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That's okay. how far ahead they are. <laughs> you know what, Dark Council? I'm so sorry. No, next month is video game movies. It's video game movies, meaning movies that are based on video games. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be rough, but we're going to watch some stuff we've been intending to watch and stuff I've intended to never watch and I'm being forced to. So, yeah, so we got, I think it'll be a good grab bag. So our, our schedule for next month is going to be Monster Hunter from 2020, <laughs> Silent Hill <laughs> oh from 2006. God. A movie that I remember liking. Super Mario Brothers from 1993. A movie I've never seen that we've intended to watch on the show since we started it. And Postal from 2007. The Uwe Boll uh, fucking... I think the only Notorious one of these I've seen Uwe is Super Bowl. Mario Brothers. Um, so I'm looking forward to this. Um, I think it'll be a fun. I think it'll be a fun month. I think I'm excited to see. I what, can't uh, possibly imagine what a Monster Hunter movie is like, but I guess I think it's supposed to be really bad. So mm. I'm not excited about that one, but nice. uh, we'll see. <laughs> Ooh, Ti is in it. Oh my god! In 2020, Ti the- is in it. <laughs> That's the one that was like supposedly banned in China or something for Probably, saying something yeah. about Chinese or something. We've got Mila Jovovich, Ron Perlman, T.I. Wow. Sounds insane. I, we're watching it next week, so we'll get there. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to join the Dark Council yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss and join at the highest tier. Uh, you'll have to f- make room. So you got to <laughs> get in the Discord uh, and ask to be on the dark councils, make somebody leave. Um, but Hey, that's on you. I don't know how to, I, I can't, I can't make them leave. Um, so please go to patreoncom slash generation loss and check it out. You can also join the Sopranos tier, which is deciding what movie, uh, or which show we'll be watching for all month on the bonus, which is, uh, we haven't decided the voting will take place probably today. Um, hasn't been declared, but, the next one we will be reviewing is Rome season two. And that'll be the a- end of that. <laughs> we have so much they to say. They can't make don't, us don't watch <laughs> more Rome. There isn't any. <laughs> there is no more. Thank God. Uh, anyway, uh, follow us on Twitter at Jen Lost Pod. Follow us individually from there. Listen to my band, Stay Inside. And until next time, that's, that's movies. movies. Hey, little apple blossom. What seems to be the problem All the ones you tell your troubles to They don't really care for you Come and tell me what you're thinking Cause just when the boat is sinking A little light is blinking And I will come and rescue you Lots of girls walk around But that's not for you You've been looking all around for years For someone to tell your troubles to